Welcome to the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Join me for conversations about how to advocate for our kids in a one-size-fits-all world. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Today, I am joined by Sean Mundus, who is the Director of Project Management at HR Solutions at Bayer Corp. Thanks so much for being on here today, Sean. Hey, Emily. Thanks for having me. Great to see you and hear you. Yes, it is good to see and hear you. We get to see each other on video. We can't be together because we're in the middle of quarantine with coronavirus. This is a very unique time and uh, a challenging time in many ways. And probably the best time to be talking about our kids because we're spending more time with them than we ever have. You and I were just chatting about how we're managing our childcare with working, and it's definitely a challenge. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely a challenge and changing day by day, sometimes hour by hour, um, you know, based on work constraints and you know, what's happening in the world around us. Yeah, we're all having to be very flexible right now, and our kids are having to be more flexible than ever. So speaking of kids, that's actually why we're talking today, because Sean, you and your lovely wife, Amber, have two uh, amazing boys. Mikey is four, and uh, Pete, or Petey, or as you said, he'll introduce himself as Peter John, is two years old. And Michael, your oldest, has Down syndrome. Yeah, yeah. Um, so quite a handful with the two of them um, on, on many levels. Um, so Michael, obviously, our oldest four, it has, uh, has Down syndrome and a, a number of other challenges that, that have kind of come with that, uh, that diagnosis, um, mostly around eating and um, failure to, to kind of grow. Um, so that's been something that we've had had on our plate for for the better part of four years now, and um, you know has caused us to rebalance our life. So with the current times, it's it's even more challenging for Amber and I, and even Peter to to know when he needs to step back, and um, the the nice circle of caregivers that we have around us as well. So talk to me about when you and Amber first learned that your first child, your firstborn, has Down syndrome, what emotions did the both of you go through? Um, they, they were varying. So Amber was uh, um, devastated, um, didn't really have experience with, uh, with somebody with Down syndrome. I had a, a different experience that I had a, um, I had actually gone to a, a grade school at the Local university, Indiana University of Pennsylvania. We went to a, a K through six um, elementary school that was associated with the university, and they actually had uh, significant programs for children with special needs. and uh, And I had a uh, a fellow student, John Angelo, who I grew up with. So, um, you know, I knew kind of what he was like, and the the uh, you know, I think the, the extra gifts that came with him and his unique warm personality. Um, then later in life, when actually in college, I was uh, dating somebody seriously and her uncle had Down syndrome and he was a very integral part of that family. And um, so it was, I guess, less of a mystery for me. Um, you know, still very, very uh, um, 
difficult news, not knowing how we would um, how would actually grow up with Michael and uh, and provide a family for him and a network for him. You know, a lot of questions there, but you know, I I think it was at least I had some basis where Amber, you know, she just had to totally reprocess everything about what her expectations were. Yeah, I'm sure there were a lot of conversations that the two of you had. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting you talk about having to to change your expectations about what that might look like. Although I'm sure there's also some unexpected good things. You talked about the joys that come with it. Share with us some surprising, wonderful, joyful things that have come out of having Mikey in your life. Yeah, I I think it's just the the positive nature and um it's interesting to see Pete at two starting to develop some of the I wouldn't say nastiness, but more the darker side of the human condition. Um that I don't think Michael will, will ever have. And that's uh it's very special to see that in Michael and now appreciate it more seeing this similar sized individual next to him start to exhibit some stuff that needs to be you know managed and um showing good from bad where i think michael's default is just just good yeah and can you speak a little bit to the audience members that may not be as familiar with down syndrome can you just talk about some of those characteristics or some of the things that you anticipate seeing in him as he grows yeah i think the the most typical thing and there is i i don't think there is a typical for down syndrome just like any kid i mean there's um general gateways and hurdles but the the general expectation is really one of delay um so you might have a a kid with down syndrome who's walking by the age of one and reading by the age of three right that might be more of a typical child or you might have somebody like michael who really didn't start to walk until the age of four without any assistance um and they they all seem to typically typically get there. It just just takes a bit longer uh, to do things, and you know eventually there there's one of a one of a ceiling, right? There there's just some complicated tasks or subjects that um, they're likely not to be able to grasp. Um, but it, you know I think it's we all have our own reality and capabilities, and it's just understanding of you know what Michael's or a kid with Down syndrome will be. You talked a little bit about the fact that he's had special challenges with with eating and diet. How have you navigated those challenges as a family and with Mikey specifically? Yeah, the uh, the medical system is really um, well intended. Um, so with Michael, um, you know, we started to notice. I've actually started it at pretty close to birth, where. Um, there were concerns that he was aspirating on his his bottle, um, so not putting everything down his uh, swallowing pipe, but maybe some getting into the lungs. Um, so he was actually uh, at the the children the new children's home for that for about a month, and generally just wasn't a great uh, great kid on the bottle. Um, and then I think it was probably around the age of. A, about 18 months, um, where one of one of his uh, his therapists had done some measurements and had concern about his 
head size not being where it should be for a, a kid of, of his age with Down syndrome. Um, so that just set in into motion a whole series of new therapists, new doctors, um, and even existing doctors with a bunch of different opinions about uh, how much Michael should be eating, what's an appropriate weight, what sort of intervention should we do, um, people wanting to give him a, a feeding tube very early on. Um, so just a lot of information for us to, to kind of digest, and every person we talked to had a little bit of, of a different opinion. Um, so it really came down to us knowing that, you know, where his parents were close, close enough to him every day to be able to say what's, what's right for him and to have the confidence to take those decisions, hearing the opinions of all the people around us and, uh, and just move forward and, you know, still seek information where we can, um, from different providers or different specialists. But at the end of the day, knowing it's kind of, we know what's best for him and, you know, it's up to us to take the information in front of us and, and make the right decision, knowing that there's not a perfect one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that makes parenting so hard. Yeah. I mean, that makes most of life hard because there's not clear-cut uh, decisions or answers like that. And particularly when you have a child with special needs and a lot of challenges that go along with that, you have to make tough calls. Yeah. And I admire you and Amber because I've I've seen you have to go through some of this and go get second opinions and go to different medical facilities and it has to be overwhelming at times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it even took us taking him out of the kind of the Pittsburgh focused healthcare system, going to Cincinnati. Um, you know, obviously, Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh has a tr tremendous reputation. This was just kind of the closest one that had a a uh, GI practice that was world renowned in, in Cincinnati. And, you know, we got a, another set of opinions there. Again, they weren't always perfect. And what they looked at was him for a couple of days and a few extra tests. And we took that and digested it and we're on the path we're on with him. How has community helped you through this? Um, I think it, it's just, I mean, one is, you're always going to find a person or a family that is that is not as fortunate as you are. So I, I think that's a very helpful um, but kind of sad perspective to have. It, it um, there are definitely harder challenges out there than than what we have, and you know, we take that as a blessing. Um, so that's one side, and I'd say where the community definitely comes into play is just um, just helping you navigate the resources that are available. Um, so other families, while the Michael's case might be unique, um, other people have had similar circumstances and have kind of fought the battle before. So taking advantage of that kind of community memory is uh, is very important and, and helpful. Are there any specific communities or social groups that you found to Down syndrome yeah. or even just a special needs type communities that have been helpful to you? Yeah, um, a couple come to mind. So the the, the uh, Pittsburgh UPMC or Children's Hospital um, Down syndrome clinic, they have a, uh, a very nice support network. They were a bit more active about a year ago um, with having 
a, a monthly get together for families with kind of a, you know, a, a topic du jour, if you will, every month. And then obviously the, the connections that kind of happen on the side with that, um, was, has been helpful for us. I would say general programs that are run through that organization. Typically there's a pretty big event once a quarter that, that will go to and meet other families. Um, so that's been very helpful. There's a, uh, a Facebook community called Rocking My Designer Genes, so the extra gene they all have, um, which is really great for just posting something quickly and getting a lot of opinions or also being able to help people. And that, that, um, that is rewarding as well. So Mothers of Misfits podcast is all about advocating for our kids in a one-size-fits-all world and helping the world to see how talented and gifted and capable our kids are when that may not be obvious to everyone else or that we might get pushed back or challenged. What's been the reaction of the world at large to Mikey? I'm sure you get a lot of reactions. So what have you encountered as a parent? Um, Fortunately, Michael's not of the age yet where he's, um, I would say, in the mainstream. you know, going to public school. So we're still about two years away from that. His birthday is in October. So he would turn six, uh, essentially a year and a half from now. Um, so that'll be, you know, I, I think that'll be a, a big moment for us where, where that happens. Um, we've gone, gone to a kind of 50 50 integrated preschool. Um, and that's really just been one of acceptance and support from from his peers, he's got a, a group of kids that are um, that look out for him, and he tends to get a little bit more sick in cold and flu season, so he takes a week off here and there, pretty pretty frequently. And all the kids are asking where he's at. Um, he was actually pretty sick in January, and we're even speculating that he might have had this virus that's going around in January. I was traveling overseas quite a bit and could have brought something back. Um, but he was actually in the hospital with a severe respiratory issue for about two weeks. And it, it was, um, it was really cool to see the, the kids and the teachers putting together cards for him and, and really kind of caring about him. That's so sweet. Yeah. And it's, it's neat to hear how they integrate the classrooms. Yeah. How, how important do you see that being not only for Michael, but for the other kids as well? Um, I think it is definitely, it's definitely helpful for Michael. We saw a, a really big uplift with him, um, when he, he started the program and also just with his brother. Now that his brother's at a kind of an age where he's, he's more advanced than, than Michael in many ways. So just seeing Michael be able to aspire towards that and, and get motivated by that, um, is, is really powerful for him. Um, and then, you know, for, for typical children or typical people being around Michael, you know, I, I think it's just the, um, the joy that he, he brings to people and, and what he can bring to a room. Um, and helping us appreciate our differences and, and kind of our blessings as well. So giving you that perspective. Speaking of Peter. What is his role in all of this? He's getting to an age where he's probably starting to understand more 
and if, as he now advances past his brother, mm-hmm. how do you see that that dynamic moving forward? Um, well, we welcome it <laughs> on a selfish level. Um, it's just nice having him be able to help out even with a, a small task of, can you hand me that? Um, <laughs> it saves us a few steps, and we do a lot of steps and kind of running around. Um, I, I think he's not he's not at the age where he, he kind of understands that there's necessarily a difference at this point. Um, it's We're seeing a little bit of where he's kind of redirecting his brother where he you know he knows he should be doing something different um which is interesting to see but i i definitely don't think he he's grasping that you know there's something there's something different about michael and and you know it may take him longer to to do things um so i i think over the next six months to a year it, you know it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and um hopefully isn't creating too much uh additional burden on Peter as he, he grows up and you know, something we'll have to safeguard as, as parents as well. Well, I'm sure he's going to end up being a protector of Michael in many ways. Yeah. And I'm sure you're looking forward to having that be the case as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, his grandmother definitely tells him that he has to protect his brother. Yeah. So the, the big little brother in this case. Yep. Yeah. What would you say to parents who are listening who just learned that they are uh, expecting a child with Down syndrome? Well, you know, I, I don't know that it's unique to Down syndrome. I would just say, you know, anything that's um, that's unexpected, whether it's you know it, just an underlying health condition, something developmental, um, just knowing that that you're not alone um probably is in general that you'll be overreacting to to the direness of the situation um and humans are very adaptable um so we have a new normal um it might be frustrating at times but uh you know there there's probably more love in the house than there would be if we had two typical children with their own sets of problems that are just different. Um, and I would just say that it's just, it's just different. Um, and the really good news is at least, you know, I can speak from the Pittsburgh perspective. There's a s- tremendous support network out there. Um, just a wealth of resources that are both local and easily accessible through, through online. Um, more than you'll ever use, frankly. What life lessons, and I know you're just four years into this journey, so there's a lot more time to go, but in the time that you've had, Michael, in your life, what life lessons have you gathered so far? I would say one of of, um, patience. (laughs) Um, So just having perspective on on what's important, um, you know. Obviously, I I had different aspirations uh, for for our family, um, and even to some extent my career. Although that hasn't uh, hasn't changed too much, um, it certainly came into play with you know what we were willing to do 
from a, a geography standpoint. So it, it really, um, it really brought it home that, you know, having a, a close family circle is extremely important, not only for day to day caregiving, but just the kind of, you know, at the end of the day, what, what drives our purpose and kind of why we're here. And it's, it's really all about, um, having family and friends close by and help to support us and, and reward us. That's true of parents of all situations, having that support group nearby, whether it's biological family or adopted into life family, we need that support structure. And, and even if their parents aren't going through the same exact struggles, we're all going through struggles of some kind. And like you said, a, a typical kid still has some kind of challenge somewhere, some way. And we have to be open to reaching out and getting the help from other people and, and having trusted relationships where we can be open and honest about what we're going through. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And I'll, I'll bring it back to work a little bit too. I mean, that, that's one thing that has allowed me to, to continue to be successful at work is really being open and honest about kind of what I'm going through, what my family is going through, and um, bringing my whole self to work. And typically, uh, you know, hopefully, you're in a work environment that that appreciates that. And fortunately, I've been in one where they appreciate that. And uh, it's brought a lot of flexibility and still letting me feel like I'm, I'm able to succeed on both ends. You and Amber continued to work mm-hmm. once you had kids. Are you glad you've made that decision that both of you returned to work? We are happy that, that we did that or made that decision. Um, what I will say is that may not be right for for everyone. Um, I don't think if we were fortunate enough to have Amber's parents close by to be so closely involved and then the ability to to hire somebody that, that we trust uh, to be in the home and Know, kind of look after Michael with his therapies and now Peter, you know, feeling like he's he's well taken care of and um you know receiving almost good parenting uh throughout the day with uh with both uh Kristen and, and now Anna who we've been blessed to find. Um so our circumstances that works and we're glad we did it. It provides some balance for us. Uh, we feel like when we go to work we're we're fully engaged there and it allows us to to focus more with the kids when we're back at home um and I, that probably would be different for us if one of us were staying home to to take care of the kids there's so many moms and dads i know a lot of moms in particular though from my own friendships that feel incredible amounts of mom guilt going back mm-hmm. to work and i'm sure that's exaggerated in the instance of a child who has a lot of extra needs and you feel bad about, you know, all that concern about, am I, am I leaving them? Should I not be doing this? Is, am I, you know, am I the best person to be taking care of them through the day? So that's a, that's a helpful perspective for you to share Mm -hmm. that it's been healthy for your family all around and that Michael, because of that has gotten relationships with some really wonderful people the nannies that you've had, the schools that he's gone to, he may not have had those experiences. Mm-hmm. Of course, it'd be wonderful if you were Amber, Amber could stay at home on some level, but he, he got a lot of other experiences out of that as well with some great people who've come into your life because of it. Yeah, 
Yeah, for sure. So what are the challenges that you anticipate now looking forward with your family as a whole? What are you what are you sort of gearing up for uh as you as you look to the future? Oh, practically, I mean, right now we have the the challenges of everybody's working from home. Um, you know, Amber's using the our bedroom as her office, um, so we upgraded her uh, her, her uh, desk to a Tempur-Pedic, not uh, not due to the the COVID, but just needed a new mattress, so she got an upgrade. Um, so I've taken over a kids' playroom as as the home office. That was kind of in the works at as it was, but um, you know now we got to consider rebalancing the equation. Anna won't be able to continue coming with the, the current guidelines and her home situation, so we're kind of all picking up a little bit more, uh, taking some half days between Amber and I, and asking her parents to come a little bit more. Um, so that's in the immediate term. Hopefully, this is all behind us in another month and. We'll all get onto our our summer and late spring and some sense of normalcy again. Um, looking out a little bit further, you know, it's really about the kids getting older and kind of their their lives changing and us changing along with it. Um, got some bad news with Michael's preschool where they're wanting to go more to a, a full time schedule. Uh, so we're actually trying to find a another preschool for him that's not quite so intense, I think, even for a typical kid who doesn't have a lot of therapies and eating challenges, that would be, uh, it's probably something we wouldn't want to do for Peter that would essentially be sending him to daycare, uh, which we're not looking to do. Um, so we'll be looking for another alternative, hopefully just as good as the one we're coming from uh, for Michael in the fall and thinking about actually Peter starting some preschool as well. Uh, he'll be turning three in, in late October, so maybe in this spring we'll think about one for him, if not definitely the, the fall where he's turning four. Um, and just recalibrating that, knowing activities are going to start picking up. Um, hopefully intense therapies are starting to wane and it's more leisure activities for Michael. Um, so just continuing that journey and, and constantly rebalancing how uh, we're creating this little ecosystem for the guys and continuing with work as well and hopefully having a little bit of fun. Oh, I know you all have a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I like the phrase you use, rebalancing, as we started off this conversation about how we need to just be flexible yeah. and we need to respond in, to the needs of the moment, which is ever shifting. And that's, Again, true of all families, it, whether or not you have a child with special needs. I know you have particular challenges, but we all have to rebalance and take it as it comes. And gosh, we're in, we're in a world right now where that's so especially true as we're adjusting to our realities of staying at home and being with our kids and understanding what they need minute by minute, hour by hour, <laughs> which keeps yeah. shifting, right? Uh but Sean, thank you so much for sharing your story that really is so uh, personal and special to you and for talking about both the challenges, but also the joys of uh, having Mikey in your life. We really appreciate you talking with all of us today. Yeah, no problem. Happy happy to share it. Um, the, the one area that I wanted to follow up on, you asked about uh, 
about resources in the community that, that have been helpful. And I forgot to mention two things. Uh, one is at Shiba. Um, funny story is several years ago, Amber and I, before we had a, before we had Mikey, we went to a, a fundraiser for, um, for Achiba and, uh, committed some, some resources towards that, not knowing that we would eventually tap into it. Uh, but a tremendous, uh, local nonprofit organization that really has great resources, both kind of hands on, um, whether it be therapists or kind of in the on premise, uh, we actually sent Michael to a, a pre preschool there and they all, we haven't had to use it yet, but I know they've been very helpful for other families, especially as you get to school age, um, with kind of these, uh, these advocates that will go in and kind of stand between you and the school or whatever organization you're trying to integrate your child with, um, and just have a great reputation for, for being that bully if you want to be happy. Um, so I would put them out and then also all the therapists that we've had along the way. Um, some stellar, some, some okay, but the really stellar ones we, we stay in contact with and they, they really help us kind of with ideas and, where to navigate the, the system. So I just wanted to throw those two things out there before we, we close. I'm so glad you did because we, yeah, you need an advocate for the advocates. Yeah. You know, you're on the front lines of advocating every day, but it gets exhausting and you're having to navigate systems that you've never been a part of before. So it's good to have those insiders and I'm glad you shared those extra resources. And I do hope the listeners go ahead and check those out. And I'm sure if they're not in, the Pittsburgh area, they have something similar in their own communities. Thanks again, Sean. So appreciate you. Thanks, Emily. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We also invite you to visit us at mothersofmisfits.com.